Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text hope NY in New York. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to lettermanrow.com. This is Talking Stuff. I am Jeremy Birmingham. This episode, as every episode, is presented by Buyers Auto. If you're looking for an auto, head to buyersauto.com. If you're looking for stuff about Ohio State football recruiting, you've come to the right place because myself, Andrew Ellis, and Spencer Holbrook are going to break down all of the latest news and notes around Buckeyes football recruiting, including a glimpse ahead into what could be coming down the pike here for the Ohio State. So, uh, enough of my rambling. Let's get to the show. Andrew Ellis is here. Spencer Holbrook is here. I'm here, guys. Last week was signing day part two. I mean, Andrew, you and I are like the old heads on the recruiting stuff, and we've been watching this for so long. How crazy is it to you that last week didn't really seem to matter at all? Like, remember when we met each other 15 years ago, how crazy signing day was? Hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I miss it, honestly. And I know you said the same, like just waiting around and not knowing where Von Bell or Raekwon McMillan's going to go on signing day. I mean, it was basically a holiday for us, and now it's not. It was very uneventful last week and quiet and honestly kind of boring. So I miss it. Spencer, we talked for about a month about Omari Abor and the possibility of there being some fireworks there with visits planned or, or discussed to – Texas visits talked about to Florida, then Miami got brought up, then LSU gets brought up because he's really close with Harold Perkins. And you know, at the end of the day, like it was still about comfort and relationships with Larry Johnson. And same thing with Carson Hinsman. This is a kid who picked Ohio State essentially and signed with the Buckeyes a week ago because his choice was made a lot easier because Wisconsin's offensive line coach left a week before he made his commitment to Ohio State. 
two days after he committed to Ohio State, his offensive line coach with the Buckeyes was unceremoniously dismissed. And then it still came down to just believing in Ryan Day's program. And like when you watch that from the outside looking in, Spencer, aren't you going, man, I wish there was something going on today? Well, before I say anything about that, I want to let you guys know, even though you guys are old heads, I very specifically remember two different instances of my childhood where I skipped school being sick to watch National Signing Day on TV. So what, what years were those? Let's let's hear them. Um, they were probably oh, 2006 and 2008 or nine. And then very quickly, they the jig was up and I was caught on to and had to go to school on signing day. So was it one of them the Terrell Pryor year? Was that yeah. 2008? Yeah, year? one of them was the Terrell Pryor year. That still uh, goes but, down to me as the wildest recruitment that I've ever watched happen. Um, and to see how far college football has come from that, which like when, remember, I mean, Terrell Pryor's recruitment was like, it was like, oh boy, what is wrong with this kid? This kid's like, oh, what a drama queen. Like, and then all of a sudden, like every single recruit in the country has top 27 lists. And we're just dealing with this every single day, day in, day out. And I can't believe how far we've come covering recruiting since that time. But then now to, be kind of bored with signing day it's it's such a weird like inversion of feelings i mean really he was a visionary if we're, if we're being honest but uh to to your point about i bet you're the first person <laughs> to ever call terrell prior a visionary maybe maybe so but uh all right let's get to this offensive line talk yeah carson Hintzman. it's kind of interesting that like you said there's a there's a bit of irony there that, you know, you pick Ohio State because of the comfort with Greg Sadrawa, and then all of a sudden you find out on the practice field in San Antonio that Greg Sadrawa has been fired. So uh, kudos to him for sticking with that commitment because, honestly, like, Berm, you, when I'm on this show, you ask me all the time, like, what would you do, Spencer? You're a young guy. What would you do? I would probably not be going to the school that fired the guy I committed to. Um, so, you know, that's just me. But he stuck with it, and Amari Abor, like, we don't really have to dissect this. We don't have to overanalyze this. Like Larry Johnson is Larry Johnson. That's just, sometimes that just wins out. And in, in Amari Avor's case, I think that just simply won out. I mean, Andrew, this, this was just a guy who we, we watched for a year and kept waiting for something else to happen in his recruitment. And it seemed like no other school was able to move the dial. And I don't know if it's because no other school really tried to move the dial or, or if it really matters. I mean, at that point, the relationship with Johnson was very different. But, you know, as we watched that over the last couple weeks, even even the weekend before signing day, you texted me and said, do you think he's going to visit anywhere else? I'm like, no one seems to think he is. And I think it was a little bit of a surprise. And it's just a reminder that these kids understand that they have a lot of leverage and and power in these recruiting games right now, because all he has to do is tell one reporter, I'm thinking about taking a visit. And then, and then that player, and I'm not talking to Mari Abor specifically here. I mean, that any player in general can, can have the news cycle be about him for another 24, 48 hours. And that, that in the world of name, image, and likeness and all of the other things that come with that sort of attention, why would anyone not do it? No, I mean, that's a great question. And I, you know, I said last week, there really weren't any surprises, but Omari Abor's recruitment being so quiet over the last month or whatever, like that really was a surprise to me because I did not think it was going to go that way. I thought he'd show up at Florida or LSU or wherever, but you know, I mean, Ohio state got him and Larry Johnson wins again, I guess. That should be the name of a, of a, of a game show. 
Larry Johnson wins again. And, and, you know, that's, it's funny because we watched the entire cycle and Larry Johnson's entire aura, right. Was, Oh, it's fine. Larry Johnson will get his guys at the end. And, and he did. I mean, you, on signing day in, in, in December, you looked at it and it was Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry. And you're like, man, I don't know what's going to happen from here. And then Hero Canoe and Omari Abor are in the class. And all of a sudden, when you combine it with last year's haul of Jack Sawyer and JT Tumaloa and, um, you know, Tyleek Williams and Michael Hall, all of a sudden, it's one of the two best two-year runs we've ever seen covering Ohio State football on the defensive line. And it, it like, man, you're just like, this guy, it didn't even seem like anyone was going to commit to him for, for the entire cycle. And then all of a sudden, he ends up with those four. Yeah, and, you know, we talk about this all the time on this show. You know, everybody – there's a lot of panic about, you know, who's going to be next in the class. Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? I think once and for all, we can just stop the, is the defensive line lagging behind everything else? Because Larry is methodical. He's slow. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's calculated. And eventually, you know, it all just happens for him. I don't really know how else to say it. Like it kind of just, falls into his lap and he does so well on the recruiting trail that like to say that it falls into his lap is kind of dismissing the work that he does on the recruiting trail but the way he works is so different than every other recruiter that for Ohio State it looks like that defensive line is lagging for so long you know are there going to be any commitments should Ohio State be concerned should you know they do this should they do that no they should sit back and let Larry work because Larry does the work and those guys committed to him. And now, like you said, it's the best probably two-year haul that we've ever seen at Ohio State. And that's just absurd to think about when you think about the other classes that he's brought in. Yeah, I mean, you can put to bed the argument of, oh, what's happening with defensive line recruiting forever, or at least until this upcoming November when we have all the same conversations and worries again, because that's what we do. We, we're, we're living in a material world, and Andrew is a material girl. And it's true. With, with that, you look ahead now – this is a material thing for Ohio State. Like there is proof in the pudding that these successes lead to more successes, right? That, that is the way recruiting works. It is all about momentum. Ohio State in January, people were looking at the Buckeyes and going, oh, they, they, they're hiring four new coaches. They don't know what they're doing. They're not doing junior days. They're, I mean, that was an intentional thing. Ryan Day and Mark Pantone and the Ohio State recruiting guys decided, hey, you know, Penn State's having all these kids come into Penn State and spend their days in the snow uh, out in uh, Beaver Stadium. And Ohio State's like, why would we let's let's not do that. Let's let's uh, let's let our new coaches get comfortable. Let's let them get acclimated and then we'll build towards spring. And with four commitments right now, the Buckeyes have the number six ranked class, according to the on three team rankings, which is pretty good when you think about the fact that they really haven't even attempted to ramp up 2023 recruiting yet. And I guess this is the natural point to talk about Luke Montgomery's decision, which will come next Thursday, February 17th. If you get Montgomery in the class, and I think we all agree that that seems to be the logical conclusion to his recruitment, even despite a real big push from Michigan here. If Ohio State ends up with five guys heading into March, and three of them are Luke Montgomery, Josh Padilla, and Will Smith, then you have all these other guys coming in in the spring, and it becomes a really important uh, launching point for, for this class of 2023. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I, I want to, I guess, uh, kick off the 2023 class for my analysis by saying, like, 
you know, there's, we're so used to having a captain Buckeye in the class. It was Jack Sawyer. There was uh, CJ Hicks. There's guys every year that, that seem to be the lead recruiter there. Like, I don't know if any of these guys, maybe it's, maybe it's Luke Montgomery. If he gets in the class that has that personality that, you know, everybody's going to you know be driven to, but, you know, I don't know if that's completely necessary as long as you have, you know, a nucleus of three or four or five guys that can do it together, you don't have to have just one guy. So for, I guess all that is to say for Ohio State, if you have Luke Montgomery and Josh Padilla and Will Smith all in the fold from Ohio, like you can have a collective uh, group of in-state recruiters rather than just one main guy that, that you really rely on, like a Jack Sawyer or a CJ Hicks. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And I think the, the class is off to a great start, especially if, uh, the Luke Montgomery situation comes up, Buckeyes. Well, I mean, I think what's interesting, Andrew, is that you're not, we're not just talking about Luke Montgomery here when you're talking about Ohio and the base that could be developing with Will Smith, with Josh Padilla, with potentially Luke Montgomery. You still could see movement with Malik Hartford or Austin Saraveld by the time that uh, the visits come back around in March. And all of a sudden, you're talking about a five man Ohio class. But you're also talking about three offensive linemen, and that's one of the positions that has a new offense, a new assistant coach, which for Ohio State, if, if you're thinking about what positions will be a little bit slow in the class of 2023, you'd think that offensive line would be one of them. But because Ohio has a, a trio of Buckeye caliber offensive linemen in the state right now, which they haven't really had every year, it's been a couple of years since you've seen that, now it actually is a, a – it validates a little bit the decision by Ryan Day to say, hey, we have to make an, a change at this position because you know the nucleus of that offensive line class is good enough to be uh, you know, a, a good class if you get to five or six guys, but also knowing that Ohio is the home for three of them. Yeah, I mean, you have to put a fence around the state of Ohio, whether that's getting four to six guys in a class, three guys in a class, or if it's a loaded class, maybe even more than that. But with, with those three offensive linemen, I think that's, that, that's, that's a huge start. And I was kind of under the same impression you were. Maybe things going a little bit slow with the kind of the transition to Justin Fry. And then, and then I saw Justin Fry speak last week, and he just kind of blew me away. I mean, just a completely different personality, it seems like, than Greg Sedrara. So it's, it's no surprise to me that he's kind of making his mark already and that he's on track to kind of get the three biggest offensive line names in the state of Ohio, with one of them coming as soon as next week, possibly. Yeah, and Saraveld's interesting to me. Go ahead, Spencer. We'll talk more about Austin Saraveld, but I, I want to let you finish your point there. And then, you know, just to, to wrap all this up, if you get those three guys in the class from Ohio, you can go out and swing big, on, you know, really big on two guys nationally and, and make that a five-man class that has not just guys that are takes from Ohio because they're from Ohio, but really top-level guys who happen to be in Ohio and then also go out and take those swings on a – you know, a top rated tackle in the class or a top rated, you know, offensive lineman overall in the class. Like there's no reason Ohio State can't go do those things. But to lock down three guys originally, then take those swings to, you know, okay, if we miss on those guys, we still have three really, really, really talented players in this class. You know, that would be a huge leg up for Justin Price first class in Columbus. Yeah. And I don't want to say Saraveld's a lock or anything like that. I mean, it, it certainly would be an upset at this point if he ends up anywhere else. Notre Dame is 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 charging there. Uh, Ohio State. I I don't. I'm not going to say that he reminds me a little bit of Blake Miller, the 2022 uh, Clemson signee from from Strongsville, Ohio. But there's a similar personality. I'm not sure all the time if Ohio State is 
like his idea of where he wants to be for campus and all that kind of stuff. So I'm still trying to learn a little bit about Austin Cerebelt as, as a player, as a person, but as a player, Justin Fry has had a chance to come in and evaluate him. And from all accounts, the Buckeyes are still all in on his recruitment. So it's not something where you can pass it off and say, oh, well, it was recruited by Greg Strudrara and Fry didn't like him or anything like that. If he ends up somewhere else, then it's, it's, a, it's a loss for Ohio State because that's a player they really did uh, and do like. So, But, you know, you start to look at this nucleus and then we're starting to see uh, the March and April visits of other players around the country pop up. Brandon Ennis announced that he'd be visiting on April 2nd. I wouldn't be surprised if Hakeem Williams and a few other players uh, that Ohio State have offered from South Florida, like Mark Fletcher, uh, end up making that trip with him. So that could be a big group uh, visit for Ohio State from the South Florida guys. Um, you, you have other players coming around. A.J. Harris has told me he'll be in Ohio State maybe for the spring game. If not, it'll be end of March um, as as North Carolina and Florida and others start to to try to weasel – not weasel. Maybe, maybe that's wrong, but, you know, wiggle their way in there. I, I was thinking about animals. I just love animal crackers, and I just ate a weasel animal cracker. The iced kinds are so good. Um, you guys ever eat animal crackers? Yeah, all the time. Which, I've which, been known which, to enjoy an animal cracker or two. Which animal tastes the best? I think I like the the panda one, but it's like hard to tell if it's a panda or just a regular bear because there's not they're not like you know the coloration. So the bear is my favorite. Uh, I like them all equally. I don't discriminate against animals. Wow. I wonder <laughs> why they haven't tried to differentiate the flavors of the animal crackers. You know, like I think you should be able to tell if you're eating a bear or an elephant. You know. It's a cracker. You can only do so much with it. No, but I mean, there are different flavors in the world. You could make, you could make the elephants taste like cherry and the bears taste like raspberry. You know, you could do that. Oh, and you could call it raspberry. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's a good one, actually. I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me. You're welcome, people out there who make those animal crackers. Um, we talk a lot of, about a lot of weird stuff here on Talking Stuff, presented by Byers Auto. Um, we're going to try to do this show more often as we head into the off season and the recruiting season. So I'm not trying to do like a huge long episode here, but I do want to turn the page officially to 2023 with our first, uh, shortened edition of the list for each of us, because we, Andrew has uh, a new list article coming out, uh, on Letterman Row on Wednesday. So let's start there. Spencer. Who is, in your opinion, at this juncture, the single most important player in the class of 2023 that Ohio State has to land because Sonny Styles reclassified to 2022 and he's no longer on that list? Uh, I think it's Richard Young. Um, I, you know, you wrote about it a couple weeks ago, Burn, maybe even sooner than that, but or more recent than that. But when Richard Young, if Richard Young comes to Ohio State, he will get on campus when Trayvon Henderson is leaving, and so. Uh, you know, th those timelines don't really line up, you know, perfectly to where those guys could spend multiple years together. And so to have a, a certified dude in the class that, you know, can, can take the mantle, can take over that spot from Trayvon Henderson, it would be absolutely huge. And so Richard Young is the best running back in America in the high school level. And I, I just, if, if that relationship with Tony Alford pays off, Ohio State is in for a a treat to have Travion Henderson and then immediately go to Richard Young. That would be a coup for the Buckeyes. 
Andrew, your first player. We're going to each give one offensive and one defensive guy for this little mini version of the list. So I, now you can say Richard Young if you want, but you better bring different analysis. Otherwise, get out of here with it. Well, Richard Young would be my number one on offense, but overall, my number one overall is uh, A.J. Harris, the cornerback from Alabama. Uh, you know, I think if the 2022 class had gone a little bit differently, whether it's Jaheim Singletary sticking with his commitment or Terrence Brooks not backing off of his pledge at the last minute, then maybe I wouldn't have Harris quite as high on the list. But, I mean, Ohio State just signed two cornerbacks last last cycle, and they're going to need at least probably two, at least at least two, if not three, this cycle. Um I think we would all agree if Kerry Combs was still in Columbus, then AJ Harris is probably committed to Ohio state right now. Um, but he's still number one on the board for me. I think Ohio state still has a shot. I kind of worry about UNC though, just because they have that stability there with Dre Bly being around and not going anywhere, but he is my uh, number one overall. Now that uh, Sonny styles has reclassified. I think it's actually really interesting because if you look at AJ Harris, part of the thing that slowed him down from committing to Ohio state last summer from, from people I've talked to was that there were four cornerbacks committed in the Ohio State class of 2022, and it was a little bit overstuffed. And then all of a sudden, there's only two guys in, in, in that class, and Ohio State was only intending to take two in the class of 2023 at that time. But now they may have to take more in this class because that class uh, fell off a little bit. And, and certainly I agree that had Kerry Combs uh, – stayed at Ohio State I think that we would have seen Harris commit on January 11th and I think it would have been to Ohio State um, I know that there are still other teams involved like Clemson and Alabama but I do think right now it's Ohio State North Carolina and Florida as the top three jockeying for position Florida with Corey Raymond who came over from LSU is now a major player in that uh, recruitment he went down and visited there a few weeks ago and he's going to go back there in March North Carolina again in March Ohio State in March um AJ's decision to transfer to Phoenix City Central High School was a big part of this, and I think it's a big part of him proving to himself that he belongs uh, at that level. And I, I think that it's a mature decision, especially because he could have gone to IMG or something. And you sure you play against good players, but it's it's a little different than you know going to play ten minutes away from home. And I applaud that move. Um, I'm going to say Luke Montgomery because this is what I wrote two days ago that I thought Luke at this point, because of his potential impact as a recruiter, because of his impact as a leader in the class, uh, getting him in this class next week is huge for Ohio State because despite the fact that the Buckeyes have always sort of been the presumptive winner of this battle, things have gotten a lot tighter with Michigan specifically than I think anyone ever believed they would. Uh, when Ohio State offered Luke a year ago, Michigan was not really involved. They built up a lot of momentum in the last year um, with Sharon Moore, with Michigan winning the, the Joe Moore Award for the offensive line, best offensive line in the country, then beating Ohio State, then offering his brother very early, all this other stuff. Hiring, I, his, hiring his lead recruiter from Notre Dame, Mike Elston. Right. Who was, also, who, was, who was recruiting him to be a defensive lineman at the time. So, yeah. Right. So, also a good decision. And I, and I think ironically and i'm not saying that this i'm not saying this i'm just saying i'm just thinking it and because this is what we do on talking stuff is just say what we're thinking um i almost wonder if jim harbaugh's flirtation with the vikings a week ago is a catalyst for luke montgomery's final decision to be made when it was because as i had been told by people in his camp for a few months now there was no plan 
for a decision to be made until like May. And I almost wonder if seeing that there was some more instability or uncertainty around Jim Harbaugh's long-term commitment to Michigan, that maybe it was enough of a sign that if Ryan Day went to the NFL two years from now, I think we can all reasonably assume who Ohio State's next coach would be. And I think just even knowing that ahead of time, that there's a chance that that could have played a role in his decision to, to end his recruitment. Um, obviously there's a week until his decision gets announced or, or, you know, publicly made. So anything could happen. We've seen crazy things happen in the world of recruiting, but I think Luke Montgomery for me is priority one on offense because you want him firmly entrenched as the leader of the class coming into spring. Spencer, who's your defensive guy? A defensive guy is somebody that I think Ohio State's actually trending away with for. Um, I think this guy is not somebody that is, uh, you know, could, could go the wrong way and it could go the wrong way soon, but I, I'm going to stick to it just because I, I, I think he's got the kind of talent that you absolutely need in a Jim Knowles defense, with three safeties. I'm going to go with Caleb Downs. Um, I, I think that kid has the talent level to be an All-American type of player in the defensive backfield. And when you're Ohio State and you have three safeties on the field at any given moment, you have to have just playmakers at those safety positions. You look at what Tanner McAllister did in the Oklahoma State defense. You look at the way that Josh Proctor can be. I, I see a guy like Kai Stokes as a, the kind of guy who fits perfectly into an aggressive Jim Knowles defense at safety. And then you turn on the film from Caleb Downs and it is just violent and physical and quick and everything you look for at the safety spot, Caleb Downs can do. I don't know exactly how it shakes out with him because I know that there are some schools down South pushing for him really hard right now. And Ohio State's trying to build that relationship back up, but he he's almost a must get for any of those top programs in the country because of how talented he is. I like the pick. It's a good savvy pick. Caleb Downs is a superstar in the making and without question, one of the top two or three safeties in America and therefore, because safety is a hugely important position for Ohio State in this class, because they only signed one uh, in 2022 and lose pretty much everyone on the roster other than Kai Stokes, uh, potentially after this upcoming season, that is a huge, uh, huge position to need. Andrew, so you went defense first, so let's go offense. Yeah, on offense, I think my guy outside of Richard Young would be uh, Chase Basantis, the um, offensive lineman from, from New Jersey. I know we've talked about kind of the core foundation of offensive linemen that we have in the state of Ohio, but I think he's going to be, he seems like he's way more open in his recruitment right now. It doesn't seem like he's close to a decision, but I think when Luke, where Luke Montgomery's probably going to be an interior guy, maybe even a center. I think Basantis is somebody who could potentially play maybe right tackle or on the inside, but I think with him, maybe a little bit more likelihood of landing a tackle compared to those three, those three in-state guys right now. Now, I think that when you look at the offensive line recruiting, we've seen so much of this one-size-fits-all uh, player, this frame, that it is going to be interesting to see if Justin Fry's approach varies wildly from Greg Studuara's when it comes to Studuara basically had decided, hey, let's get everyone to be six foot five, 310 pounds, and just put them wherever. And that has hurt Ohio State a little bit in, in recruiting tackles, I think, because you do want to have some defined roles. Um, but Justin Fry has made a big impact already with Caden Proctor, with Samuel Okanlola from Massachusetts, and with Basantis. So I think that any one of those three offensive tackle prospects is very, very important for Ohio State 
uh, in the class of 2023. I uh, went off first. Yeah, Spencer. I, I got a question for you. Uh, just a quick question. I like questions. Okay, so I know that in the late in the recruiting cycle, Tegra Chibola started to maybe take things a little more seriously, seriously about the way he's going to progress and the way he wants, what he really wants out of his time at Ohio State. It, it seems to me, as somebody who covers the, the team more than recruiting, that that might play a little hand in hand with, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, uh, you know, slow panic about the tackle position at Ohio State. Do you think that's a, that gets, uh, you know, downplayed a little bit maybe because Tegra Shabula has the potential to be that kind of player? And if he gets into Ohio State and does the things correctly, like to me, if you look at Tegra, like that's a guy that you could see really dominating at tackle if, if he wants to. But do you think yeah. that, that him taking it more seriously and kind of proving to Ohio State, like, this is what I want, do you think that kind of lessens the blow for, or the lessens the need to go out and, and make just home run tackles the next two or three classes? I don't think it lessens the need. I, I do think that it's encouraging. And, and you know, on, on our Letterman Lounge, the, the message forum on Letterman Row, people were asking on Tuesday, like, what is it about Luke Montgomery that makes me, even though he's listed by some um, recruiting agencies as a potential tackle, I, I think he's an interior guy all the way from what I've seen. It's just my opinion. Like Luke is listed at 6'4", but I think his 6'4 is closer to 6'3 than 6'5", et cetera, those sort of things. Where Tegra is listed at 6'5", I think he's closer to 6'6", and he's also got extremely long arms, and he, he's also – really not even begun developing his body yet. I mean, he's a, a 340 pound kid at six foot six and moves pretty well for his size. I think he can play tackle. He reminds me, I mean, for the old, old Ohio state watchers out there, it's the older style of offensive lineman, kind of like Adrian Clark. I don't know, Andrew, do you remember him? Spencer, oh, yeah, do you remember Adrian Clark? He, he played a couple of years in the NFL for the Eagles and he's, he's a really good player. Wasn't ever a guy that you looked at and said, oh, that's a surefire All-American, All-Big Ten tackle. But he did a really great job for Ohio State, but he was flexible enough to move inside or out. And I think that that's sort of what I see out of Tegra um, is that Adrian Clark mold. Not it, it, He definitely gives some flexibility, but I think when you're looking ahead beyond 2022, uh, you, you're going to need two or three more tackles. So somebody's going to have to step up, whether it's Grant Tutant, um, whether it's um, – you know, any other, any a number of the guys on the current roster, someone else is going to have to be developed into a tackle. So that, that becomes Justin Fry's, I think, biggest job this spring is to find someone to play, uh, you know, behind Paris Johnson and you know, Dewan Jones this fall. I think that's got to be priority one. And it's unfortunate for Tegra that he's not an early enrollee because I think he could really use that extra time. But, you know, it's not unfortunate for him. It's unfortunate for Ohio State. Let me reword that. Um, Anyway, defensive player on my list. This is a big question. Big question. Because I do like – I'm trying to avoid picking guys you guys picked because I think, obviously, A.J. Harris and Caleb Bounds are in that conversation. Um, I'm going to say it's still Troy Bowles uh, because I think that Troy Bowles is just one of the best football players in the country regardless of his size or position. I think he's a bad, bad dude on the football field. And I think you need guys who, as cleanly as possible, want to hurt their opponent on every single play. Uh, and Troy Bowles is that type of guy. And then you know that as a 
football IQ and the kid off the field at that uh, he, he's one of these guys that has that switch that you're like, man, he can flip it on and off. And uh, his dad being an NFL defensive coordinator, and former head coach, you know that he's a guy that understands the game. Um, so to me, it's troubles. I think he's, I think he's got the potential to be a game wrecking linebacker slash bullet slash safety slash whatever position Ohio state will create in the next six weeks. I don't think there's a, a kid that I saw last summer at camp that soaked up information the way that Troy Bowles does. I mean, like every time, you know, it didn't matter who was talking to him, Ryan Day, Al Washington, his own pop, you know, you know, his own dad who was talking to him, you know, between drills and stuff like when there was a, a, a person that he thought he could get information from, he was paying attention. And you don't see that all the time in those summer camps where kids are just, you know, really trying to you know get their work in and, and learn a little bit and, and talk to some friends. But like that kid was locked in from the time he laced the cleats up. And you could just see that, like you said, the football IQ from Troy Bulls is out of this world. And so, you know, that linebacker spot is going to be really key. I know there are only two of them on the field at a time. And it looks pretty crowded right now, but those rooms, especially in transfer portal world, uh, you only put two linebackers on the field at once and that room could thin out in a hurry. And I think Ohio State really needs to work on, you know, making sure that that room is stocked at all times. Well, just looking at the roster, I mean, think about Taraja Mitchell obviously will be gone after this year. Uh, and then you go down the list. You've got Cody Simon, who's got two years. Mitchell Melton's had the injury issues. Cody Simon struggled with injury issues last year. Cade Stover's moved over. Uh, Steel Chambers will be, be gone after this upcoming year. Like, there's a lot of things that could happen um, between now and the time these 2023 kids get on campus. And I don't know, man. I, I just uh, – if you haven't watched Troy Bull's tape, I recommend you flip it on and, and look at what it seems like when a kid – uh, wants to hurt people on the field, but not in a dirty way. That's very important that we say that. Um, just real, I think linebacker recruiting is going to be fascinating to watch because Al Washington obviously is gone. He was a really good recruiter. Jim Knowles isn't really being brought in for his recruiting prowess. He's being brought in so he can lock himself in and out in an office all day and make up, you know, scheme and that kind of thing. So I really don't know how linebacker recruiting is going to go. And I think that's going to be a uh, kind of a fascinating follow for the 23 class. And that's something we've talked about on, on Letterman Row a few times. He is, you're absolutely right. Jim Knowles was not hired to recruit for Ohio State. But I do find it somewhat interesting that when he did get out on the recruiting trail in January, the first places he went were to the kids that he had been recruiting for Oklahoma State. And it will be a topic of discussion whether or not those kids are Ohio State caliber kids or if they're kids that Jim Knowles went to because he likes them from his time recruiting at Oklahoma State. Uh, that is, includes, you know, guys like Raul um, Aguiar, uh, Aguirre, sorry, down in uh, Atlanta. Um, that includes, whose name is escaping me right now, the, in, in Louisiana. Why is that? Tell me his name. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. It's, it's on the tip of my tongue, too. It's, see, this is what happens when we don't actually rehearse a show or anything like that, because we want it to be authentic, but uh, Tackett Curtis, Tackett Curtis is the name. Tackett is a player that, you know, he's a coach's son. Again, if you're talking about watching a high school film of a kid that looks like he arrives with bad intentions, you, but you don't know if in at many Louisiana, if that's about the competition or whatever, but certainly frame-wise, he, he fits the mold of what you're looking for. He, he's got the potential to really be a good player. Um, but, you know, Ohio State's going to have to decide what players they still want. And a lot of that stuff is still going to be Ryan Day's decision. And so how that plays out, anyone's guess. Um, 
There's a lot coming, though. The recruiting world uh, is going to pick back up for Ohio State. These next few weeks are going to be slow. I'm going to be in Vegas next week for a seven-on-seven tournament. Uh, we'll be down in Atlanta at the end of the month for the Under Armour camp down there and see a lot of good players and hopefully uh, start to really ramp up towards what should be an extremely busy March. Do you guys got anything else? What, what's on your mind? Anything? We got about two minutes left of this before I tell you we got to cut her off. Not really. I heard the Bengals play this weekend. That should be – heard that's a big game. The Bengals are in the Super Bowl, for those of you who are, have not heard that. Spencer Holbrook is a huge Bengals fan um, <laughs> also, which people don't know. Spencer doesn't talk about his NFL fan very much. Uh, he is a huge Bengals fan, lifelong Bengal fan. He grew up near Finley and, uh, and certainly isn't a Steelers fan because that would be weird for people in Ohio to love the Pittsburgh Steelers the way that Spencer would have to love them if he were a Steelers fan. Unless they grew up near Finley. I guess. I, apparently, the Steelers playing Finley. I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap this up. That's the end. Uh, thanks for watching, guys, uh, gals, everyone out there. Sorry for the deviations. I hope you find the flavor of animal cracker you love. That's Spencer Holbrook. That's Andrew Ellis. I'm Jeremy Birmingham. This has been Talking Stuff, presented by Buyers Auto. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-420-47 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.